Hello, Texans, and welcome to Indianapolis. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris will be with us as we broadcast from the NFL Scouting Combine. Day two for us here, and an exciting day bench press activity going on behind our broadcast area, so we heard a lot of huffing and puffing and numbers being called out. It's actually pretty compelling stuff to watch. Some of you might have caught some of that on NFL Network. Later on in the show, it's going to be John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. All his thoughts on what Bill O'Brien and Brian Gain have had to say over the last couple of days. Mike Keith, voice of the Tennessee Titans. His thoughts on not just the Titans, but the Colts, the AFC South in general, because this was the best division in football last year, and we want to talk about how it might be in 2019, of course. Some other things we're going to cover. Brian Gain, he's going to join us in just a moment here, and he was up at the podium today. I think the biggest takeaway was Aaron Colvin, how they feel about him. They're expecting a much better season. It didn't go so well for him because he had the injury, and then he came back from the injury, and he wasn't playing as well as he wanted to, and at one point he was a healthy scratch. But they expect bigger things from him in 2019. But we like to get into it. How the combine goes for a guy like Brian Gain, how he goes about his business. So let's hear from the general manager of your Texans. Brian, great to have you with us. So year two for you as a GM, how has that changed versus last year at all? It's exciting, Mark. It's really exciting because to have the full year in in place with with our current scouting staff, uh, obviously the relationships with, with the coaching staff too. Uh, putting a full year plan in place, not having been here just in January and playing catch up, but having a full season, uh, the impact of the ability to evaluate our own roster and then to uh, externally look externally look at both free agency and the draft and try to put all those pieces in place, having a full year under your belt certainly uh, is an advantageous uh, situation for me. Brian, I would imagine before you became the GM, you thought about being a GM for a long time. Once you got into the GM role, I'm sure there were probably some things that you didn't even think, oh, my gosh, I have to do that. Oh, I didn't even think about doing that. Was there one thing that you went through the first year as a GM where you went, man, I didn't even see that coming? Was there something that not maybe shocked you or surprised you, but you were like, whoa, I didn't really know that I needed to do that? Yeah, number one, just extremely thankful and appreciative and humble that the McNair family gave me the opportunity to be the general manager of the Texans. You know, the second thing is I've had great mentors in my career from uh, Coach Bill Parcells, Terry Bradway, Jeff Ireland, just to name a few. Um, And I learned a ton from under them and studying them and working with them and, and taking direction and trying to learn as much as I could before I was ever put into this position. Um, I think at the end of the day, you really have to de- uh, rely on your experience and, to a degree, your instincts. Um, you know, the other part, too, is you got to have a quality staff. you got to have people that you can trust and delegate to. The job is very big. It's very expansive. I think when you have your own team in place like that, then you, you, you're going to trust more. There's going to be more delegation. And then the other part is just you, you, the all-encompassing football operation. It's not just about picking players. It's about putting the apparatus in place and the structure in place and the organization in place to be successful both on and off the field. And that takes a lot of time. Uh, It takes a lot of relationships. You've got to have good people working for you and and working together and and trying to build a team on the field but also in the front office. And I feel like we've been able to make a lot of strides in those areas. Brian Gain with us. Brian, we were talking to Bill, and he said he's going to get down to the field level a little bit more this year to look at players in the bowl 
up in the suite, what what are you looking at? What kinds of things are you observing? Because you get a lot of data on these guys. What are you looking at when you observe them live? Well, before they get onto the field and start doing their field work, we've already seen the weigh-ins. We've already seen the body types. So we're prepared to project as it relates to what they physically look like, their height, length, and, and their, their body comp. Once they get to the field, we're looking for athletic traits. Um, one thing I do guard on is, you know, we complete our draft meetings by uh, the third week of February, and we like to believe that our draft board is, is proverbially set and not so much let anything influence the board too much. It will to a degree, you know, slightly up, slightly down, based on a lot of information that gets discovered here and through the pro days. But we're looking for athletic movement skills. We're looking for competitiveness, uh, looking for how they react to coaching, um, looking for explosiveness, twitch, quickness, you know, strength, power, whatever, whatever, whatever we can glean from the athletic movements as it relates to validating perhaps the evaluation that we had from the fall. Brian, the interview aspect of it, people will talk about this all the time, hugely important, but you get 15 minutes with these guys, and I, I don't know what you can glean in 15 minutes, but I'd imagine if you just sat, you and I sat down for 15 minutes, you can get something out of that conversation. What do you look for in that interview time with these prospects? We know exactly who's coming in uh, to our interviews, so we're prepared to, to vet out any potential character that we might have to. Uh, when players don't have any of those issues to discuss, we certainly want to get to know their personalities, want to know who they are, who they're going to be every day because we're having a working relationship with them. We glean a lot uh, in terms of their personal character, their football character, what their support system is, who their family is, what's going on in their personal lives. We learn a lot about the, uh, their, 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 their football knowledge, their, their instincts, their intelligence. There's a lot gleaned in those 15 minutes. We just try to get right to the point, but we're prepared before that happens so that we can kind of go through the things that we want to. The most important thing I get at that, at that, John, though, is just getting to know their personality, yeah. who these guys are going to be every day when they come into your building. Do some of the guys get nervous? I mean, I speak in front of large groups, Brian, <laughs> but that's got to be nerve-wracking for a young man. I don't care what he does for a living to have all you guys asking him questions, even for a short amount of time. It's all the everybody against one, so to speak. You know, perhaps it could for, for some, but I think the, a lot of the young men that we've met so far, they've, they've seemed prepared and honest and open. Um, maybe nowadays they're, they're, they're more prepared. But for the most part, we've had favorable impressions with the guys that we met with. Brian, when you start in this business as a scout, you're watching players, you're trying to find prospects, you're watching the film, you're doing those kind of things. As you move up the ranks, you start engaging in the business of football. How tough is that? We asked Bill this yesterday. The business of football gets involved because you get these guys that you're with every single day, and you get to really love these guys. They become part of your family. But then all of a sudden you got this other side over here, the business of football doesn't always let you keep those guys. How tough have you found that as being the general manager to incorporate the football family but then also know the business of football is important in this as well? Yeah, it's a, it's a critical part. And Chris Olson, our VP of football administration, is a, a critical part to our football operation and our front office. And then equally our scouting program, our evaluation program, our system, our scouting system, our scouting methodology. There's constant communication between the two in terms of evaluating players for what they are now what they can be in the future, and then what they will, what they can be in the long term. So that's the delicate balance between the two. It's something that perhaps in your scouting background doesn't necessarily train you to put you in that position right away. But over time, I think, you know, as you're growing in the business, you realize that's an important part of the, of the process, um, that the roster turns over and you have to find replacements to, to bring guys in, and you're constantly trying to upgrade the roster. So it's the delicate balance between, you know, how you pay players how you value players, how you value draft picks, how you value free agency. And Chris Olson, our VP of Football Administration, is an integral part of that. 
Brian, I know the doctors are doing hundreds of physicals here in Indianapolis. Can you paint a little picture for the fans as to what that operation is like over at Lucas Oil Stadium? It's an impressive operation. Our, our full medical staff is here, just like all the other 31 teams are here. And they're working together. They're working in groups, and they're working in conjunction with each other. And it's an important part of how we assess our, our, our prospects because we've done the field evaluation. We've done the football part. Now we're here to try to do maybe some of the personal stuff, maybe some of the intangible stuff, and they're doing part their part from the medical. And that's a critical part in terms of assessing player durability, assessing risk, you know, long-term, long-term short-term. And really what you're, what you're trying to do with, with draft picks is you're, you're trying to uh, eliminate your margin for error. Mm-hmm. You're trying to manage risk, and sometimes there might be some risk with you know, some players who might have some durability concerns. You know, the guys might have a clean bill of health. But at the end of the day, you just want to know what you're getting. Brian, this draft class in particular, 2019, there's been a lot of talk about the defensive line. There's a bunch of defensive linemen. There's kind of a flavor for everybody, if you will. Maybe not as strong a linebacker. As you start looking at the different units in this draft, is there anyone in particular that stands out to you that you look at and say, hey, this is pretty deep here, but maybe not as deep in these other positions? Yeah, I think what you said about the front seven, it's a it's a strength of the draft this year as it relates to playing 4-3 or 3-4. There's some good edge volume in terms of edge players. Uh, we think that there's some volume in the secondary as well. Um, there's going to be a lot of great opportunities for us to get what we think is four players in the top 86 selections. We're going to get four, four, four at-bats here before the third round ends, and that excites us. So we're going to get two in the second, obviously a, a very good player at 23 and at pick 86. We're going to get a great chance here to upgrade the roster. Four impactful players, and that excites us as a scouting staff. Brian, are a lot of draft day trades not necessarily prearranged, but the hypotheticals are? Maybe you lay something out just in case something happens, a certain scenario plays out. There's got to be a lot of different ways you can approach this. There's a lot of preparation that goes involved. There's a lot of contingency planning, whether you're deciding to go up, to go down, based on how the board speaks to you. Um, Some of those contingencies may not ever happen. But you're prepared to do them. You maybe laid the groundwork that if X, Y, or Z happens when your selection comes, if that player is on the board, I'm going to I'm going to make this call. Mm-hmm. Or hey, if your guy's on the board and my turn comes up and you're willing to do this and you want to come up, just give me a call and we might be be willing to consider that. Some of that happens before the draft. Some of that happens the day of draft morning. Some of that happens when you're on the clock. It's just having your knees bent and being ready to go and, and being flexible when those opportunities come and you measure the, the risk versus the reward. Um, when you trade down, you just got to be careful you don't trade too far down, mm-hmm. that you're, you move yourself out of the way of someone maybe that you valued on the board. You just want to make sure you, you put that caption net in place that you don't descend too far. But uh, it's that delicate balance between uh, the value and how the board is speaking to you. And if you get a pick back that you think you can get a player based on your board in that spot and add another dimension to your team that's that's valuable back in houston we see you guys meet all the time and the doors open every once in a while everybody comes out for a quick break and right back to it Uh, how much do the coaches get involved in all of that in the process of selecting these players the entirety of the staff yeah we're in our organization it's it's a philosophical alignment between the types of players that we're looking for our coaches where the scouts are out looking for the types of players that that our coaches need for our system and for our scheme and in terms of how we grade players and value players, we see it through the same prism. We're grading the same traits, so there's no differing opinions as it relates to that. Um, but the coach's impact is very valuable for us because they're able to tell us outside of the, the, the factors and the traits, this is exactly how we would use him. This is where he would fit for us. This is maybe who he's better than. This is who he would compete with. 
this is his value on fourth down. So they're able to kind of integrate where and how they would be ex- be used exactly in our system, offensively, defensively, and fourth down. Not to say our personnel and scouts don't. We have our, our vision, too. The best selections that we've ever made is when there's symmetry and unity fully in terms of the vision between personnel and coaching. And I would say last year we hit that out of the park as it related to the coaches and the scouts. Brian, thanks a lot for being with us. Good luck this week. Thank you. Here's the general manager of the Houston Texans, Brian Gain. Coming up, Mike Keith, voice of the Tennessee Titans. You want to hear what he has to say about Tennessee's chances next year and the Colts, how they're looking in his opinion. He's the one who warned me, I'll use that verb, who warned me about how good the Colts were getting late in the season before anybody really started to notice. So we'll hear from him and then John McClain from the Houston Chronicle right here on Texans Radio. Keeping you up to date with the Houston Texans. It's Texans All Access here in Indy. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. John McClain is going to join us next segment. Go to the website, HoustonTexans.com. We've got the Harris 100, the top 100 draft-eligible players. Johnny with complete breakdowns of all of them, so check that out. And go to the website, watch the vlog. I mean, that'll take you all around Indianapolis as you see the highlights of the combine, some of the sights and sounds there. Now, we like to get perspective. What do other people think of the Texans? What do they think of their teams? Texans' primary competition, of course, the AFC South, the best division in football. So let's check in with the voice of the Titans, Mike Keith. Mike, the Titans season, and I'm the one who gives Mark the homework assignment to talk to you every time that the Texans are playing the Titans, so I'm at fault. But one of the things that stood out when the two of you talked for our Monday night game before that was when you guys came here to take on the Colts, and and you told Mark, you're like, look out, the Colts are are legit. Mm -hmm. And then we beat you guys that night, and I thought, well, okay, maybe the Colts, and then the Colts ended up being absolutely legit. So the Texans and the Colts both go to the playoffs. Tennessee went in 2017. Where does it kind of put the Jacksonville Titans? win in 2017? Well, we've all that. been – think yeah. about it's this. true. We've all been we've there. We've all been – only division that all four teams have been in the last two years yeah. and only division with three winning records last year. Yeah. That's what I've been saying. I think it's the best one in football it's this It's easy the best one in yeah. football. So where does it put the Titans? I don't know. I mean, I, I think the Titans are in some ways the wild card in all of it because if Jacksonville gets their offense straight – Yeah. Their defense is dangerous enough. Even yep. even with what they will end up purging, yep. they will still be – because they've got playmakers. They've got athletes. They've got playmakers. Yep. Uh, Indy is the, is the talk of this place. Yep. Ironically, yep. we're in Indianapolis, but look how much salary cap they got. Look at the draft picks they got. Look at what they did in the draft last year. Look at the quarterback. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, they may end up being the AFC favorite. I, I mean, and very logically, yeah. you can you can, can see that. you can make that case. You guys aren't going anywhere. We knew at that time, I, even after you left Nashville in September, we knew that was a really great win for us because you know you went in the division, but also we were so messed up with our offensive line and Mariota couldn't throw more than five yards, and uh, and we had to play Gabbert and all that. But yeah. at the same time, we knew you would be back. Yeah. Uh, especially with having the defensive parts sort of click in and then Watson click in the way that he did. So I think the Titans are a good club, uh, good salary cap situation, good draft situation. The quarterback, if he's healthy, is a is a quality player who can win in this league. The question for the Titans is can he stay healthy? But I think if the Titans are going to take a next step, 
they're going to go from the number eight defense in the league to a top five defense. And I think that's going to be the challenge of this offseason is trying to add a couple more parts to potentially or at least try to do that. Mike Keith, voice of the Titans with us. What about the offense with Matt LaFleur gone? And give me a little thumbnail on the job he did, in your opinion, considering some of the issues you had. He did a great job. And the stats will never say it. You'll look at our numbers and you'll say, "Eh, what was, you know, what was that? But the Friday before the, the game with the Texans in week two, he's lost Delaney Walker. He's without Jack Conklin. Taylor Lewan's out. Marcus Mariota's out. And then on Friday, Dennis Kelly yeah. has an episode and has to leave the facility, and he's out. So they're going to bring a guy up from the practice squad to block J.J. Watt. That's, that's what they're going to do, a guy who's never appeared in an NFL game. And they're in there on Friday afternoon, and they come up with this idea. You know, Derrick Henry ran the Wildcat in high school. And it was those sorts of things that really bonded LaFleur with Vrabel because Vrabel has that Patriots thing about how do we win this game? Yeah. We'll yep. do whatever we have to do. Let's just win. If we have to run the wishbone, we'll do that to win this game, the wide tackle six on yep. defense. Does not make any difference? Yeah. Vrabel has that. LaFleur has the same thing. And so week by week, all these weird things happen. I mean, so strange. And the last game of the year, Mariota's out. Casey's out. Logan Ryan, our slot's out. I mean, we've – We've got a mess and a half, and yet playing with Blaine Gabbert, uh-huh. it's 24-17 with 10 minutes to go, and we've yep. got the ball with a chance to go to the playoffs. Indianapolis was so much better that night, and yet because of, I think, a lot of what LaFleur did, um, he he kept us in that. By all rights, that should have been a 5-11 and season. Wow. But I think that tells you something about Vrabel, which you know, and I think it tells you something about where the culture kind of is right now is those guys think they're pretty good. They like each other. They work hard. They, there's, some, there's some good players in place. And so they're just going to kind of find ways. But now, the, now for the Titans, it's about how do we take the next step. One of only six teams in the league that have put up three straight winning seasons. But how do you take the next step? Mike, what unlocked the, what unlocked the box for Derrick Henry? Was it just Marcus is banged up? No. I mean, what was it's it? It's a great story. I mean, this guy is having so many problems through the first three months of the season. We're playing – he's he's playing poorly. Yeah. He is running to darkness. Yeah, Dion stepped in front of him as the number Deion's one guy. Dion's the yeah. number one guy. In our game in week 11 with New England, they put David Flewellen in the game, and, and he tore up his knee, unfortunately, on a non-contact play. There's a real chance that David Flewellen might have carried the ball the rest of the game. I mean, he was on the verge of being the three running back, but the guy he kept taking reps with the practice, you know, with the practice team there, the scout team. Yep. He kept working it. He studied film. He talked to people about what he was doing wrong. The coaches were saying, "Look, we block it this way. I know you're not used to this, but I was." I, I don't know that I've ever been happier for a guy who just kept doing it. Yep. It's like a hitter who's 0 for 20, and he just keeps taking BP, and he's working, and, and it all works out for him. And that's what happened. He figured it out through hard work, and at the end, he was as good a back as there was in the NFL. I mean, he was running great the last six weeks of the season, last five weeks of the yep. season. Mike Keith, voice of the Titans with us. 
the game itself, I've been asking various people this. When you look at a game like the Chiefs and Rams and the score in the 50s, and then you look at the Super Bowl mm-hmm. and that low-scoring affair, what do you make of all that with all your time in the league, your perspective, where it's going, where it should go? I think they're going to let you play a more physical style in the postseason. I think they're they're not going to call the grabs. They're not going to call the reaches. I think it's pass interference. <laughs> yeah, face mask, face mask, things of that. But I mean, they're they're going to let you play more naturally, and I think that's going to benefit the defense because the rules of the game, since we've been doing it, Mark, have swung so much mm-hmm. towards towards offense. I don't know how the Ravens of 15 to 20 years ago would have done a lot of what they had done with how they played defense. And not knocking them because they were fantastically talented, but that style, I mean, they'd have gotten a penalty almost every other play for something. Mm. But in the playoffs, it's it's sort of back to that old way. That's right. that's what we've seen. Mike, you mentioned a little while ago our experience with Mike Vrabel. Yeah. Nashville gets gets him for a year. What's been the thought on Mike and how he's done with this team? I've never been around a first-year coach in any sport that was as prepared as Mike Vrabel was. And that shocked me because most of them, even really good ones, have moments that you're like, mm, what was that again? You know, He knew exactly what he wanted to do. He had a plan for everything. Never lost because of a lack of preparation. Never lost because of a moment of confusion. Had the locker room. Uh, the guys really like him. And I, and I think his message, too, up front was was really important. He walked in and he told guys, he said, listen, he says, when we're in the building, we're all pals. We're all grown men. We're, this is pro football. This is what we do. Don't have to worry about where you sit. I'm, we're, we're not going to play mine. And I'm paraphrasing, of sure. course. We're not going to play mind games with you to try to motivate you in certain ways. But we're on, we're on the practice field. Nobody's your friend because you want to be coached hard. Yep. Because if you're coached hard, you'll be prepared. We'll all win games. And guess what? You'll play longer and you'll make more money. And if you care, then that's what this is about. Yep. And so the difference was stark. I mean, there was nobody who was safe on the practice field. <laughs> and you get on the quarterback. Hey, how about throwing it to the guy who's open? You know, yeah. Derrick Henry. How about, you know, let, scoring a touchdown would be great. I mean, he had a little quip for everybody. Mm-hmm. And guys took it well because he did exactly what he said. And I think in anything, if a coach is consistent, then that's all you ask for. You, you know what you're getting. He cared about dudes and their families and their kids and all of this. But on the field, it was all about ball. And it was really, really impressive to watch. And the fact that he's kept 90% of the staff for year two, I think shows a lot about the staff he picked because he made it clear. He goes, I'm not picking pals. He mm-hmm. goes, I don't have any pals. I'm not. I'm not interested in that. Certainly has not changed. No. No. I mean, you Same guys know him. We know. You know. I mean, you know him. He's crusty. Yep. Um, you know, doing his radio and TV show could be a challenge. <laughs> uh, more after wins than after losses. You know, because he's like, oh, you're making us sound like we're better. You know. Yeah. And, and that's okay. I mean, I, I told him. Finally, I, I told him. He goes, "Why do you always ask me about the quarterback?" I go, "Because you have to ask the coach about the quarterback." Yeah. He's, Quarterback's kind of a big deal, Coach. Yeah, if, he, right. if he left the game with an injury, I've got to ask you. I said, that's what the fans want to know. Fans want to know. But that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. but, but I, like, I like knowing 
what I'm going to get with the head yeah. coach. Right? And it was really, it was my second, I'd say at 21 years, it was top two or top three in terms of fun. Yeah. To watch this guy do it and to interact with him in this way. Mike, Nashville is such a popular road trip for the traveling Texans when they can get tickets to the Texans-Titans game. What about Nashville as a city since you've been working with the Titans, how it's evolved? It's really exploded. Well, I go go back even further because I grew up just outside of Nashville, and when I got my driver's license, my dad told me, he goes, whatever you do, don't go down Broadway, 1st Avenue, 2nd Avenue, 3rd Avenue. I mean, it was rough, rough, rough. I mean, like nasty rough. Um. And in less than two months, they're going to host the draft in exactly that spot. That's nuts. And so for a guy who's a local to see it come that far, it's like the coolest thing ever. I mean, yeah. it's a it's a beautiful thing to think, not just the country, but the global community is going to be – the NFL draft's the second biggest event that the, the league holds, and it, it is going to be massive. Um, and to think about where we were and when we – first started having national people come for for titans games in the late 90s people would say things like uh, you know this is uh this is actually a nice town <laughs> <laughs> and and the translation you guys actually have like roads and schools yeah. and, yep. and they're you know because they expected they thought they were going to be seeing the clampets yeah they they Go thought to the grand old opry Granny and everybody, yeah, yeah. but well, they saw Hee Haw. Yeah, right. And they, and, and that's what they thought it was. Yeah. And well, we the, live in Texas, so we're familiar with some well, of this. Well, you understand what I'm saying yeah. is that there's a perception, and Nashville still has the Grand Ole Opry, sure. and it still has the honky tonks, and it's still, I mean, there's still a lot of fun things that you could do, but it's a lot more cosmopolitan yep. than it ever was before, and. People coming from other parts of the country when Nissan came in and Bridgestone came in and put their North American headquarters in, in that area, uh, it's it's really transformed. So it's been a lot of fun. Who's the most authentic celebrity Titans fan? Like they're a real fan and they're a country music celebrity or, or some other celebrity. Could be Tim McGraw. Oh, yeah? Tim McGraw's serious. His wife, Faith Hill, might be even more serious. Wow. She, at one point before their kids got older, she had a box. And part of the reason she had the box is she wanted to be in a place where she could watch the game without being Faith Hill. Right. She could just be Faith Tim's wife watching the ball game. She wanted to be a normal person because she's a sports fan. Yeah. She's from Star, Mississippi. I think she was an athlete growing up. And, I mean, she was into it. Then their kids got older, and uh, she was – she was really hardcore. I thought you were going to ask me who the most authentic country music person was, period, and I have a good answer for that. Who's too. that? Luke Bryan. Luke Bryan may be as nice a human being, true, nice person as you'll ever meet anywhere. He is just – I've seen him at the rodeo. He is a special guy. Uh, the stories about what he's done for his extended family and what he's done for people in the community, I mean, he is the real deal. Mike, thanks a lot for joining yeah, us. Yeah, it's fun. Thanks for having me on. That's Mike Keith, voice of the Tennessee Titans. Coming up, John McClain. What does he think about the Texans offseason, the free agents, who's going where, who's coming back? He's got his opinions. You know you want to hear them, and that is next on Texans Radio. From the scouting combine in Indianapolis, Mark Vandermeer and John Harris on Radio Row, joined by the general, John McClain, for the Houston Chronicle. He's been busy. He's here with us now. We thank you for taking some time. General, 
What was your primary takeaway from anything Bill O'Brien and Brian Gain had to say this week? I wrote uh, that I expect Kevin Johnson to be released, and there's a good chance Kareem Jackson will sign somewhere else unless Bruce Arians and Todd Balls, who coached Tyron Matthew at Arizona and love him and need a safety in Tampa unless they pay him enough money. Now, the Bucks have cap problems. The Texans do not. And I know they're not going to get in a bidding war over one of their players. And so I believe Matthew will resign. And uh, I think corner, as Brian Gain talked about, receivers are getting bigger, taller, yeah. and you got to be able to keep up with them. And uh, I think size is important to them. Speed's always important. But they've got to upgrade that position. You know, Aaron Colvin will be back playing the slot. But – and Kareem's really a safety. You don't need four safeties, and they've got four if they re-sign Matthew. That's why I think Kareem will go somewhere else because of his versatility. And he's 31, but he's going to be 31, but he's coming off his best season. All right, a lot of things you just threw out there. And before we get to the next question, I just got to clear this up because I think a lot of people felt the way I felt. What business does Tampa Bay have having cap problems I mean, if anybody shouldn't have cap problems, it should be Tampa Bay. If anything constructive should have been accomplished, it should have been that, that you have space to do things. Well, you ever been down Mabry Street, Dale Mabry? Mm. You can lose a lot of money that – oh, wait, uh, we're talking – sorry. Yes, yeah, yeah we're out. talking about yeah, football yeah. stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Gerald McCoy, I mean, they're bringing Gerald McCoy back. Jameis Winston, I mean, but – My gosh. I don't know. Well, but, I just talked to one of their guys, and they do have cap issues. Uh, all right. And they do want a veteran safety, but they just can't afford to pay a lot of money on, like they have on some players in the past. You would think a team that's been bu- bad so often would do like Jacksonville did and just in Cleveland. And the Jets just stockpile cap dollars. How poorly are you run – if you're a bad team and you got a cap problem. Well, one thing you said, though, John, about you expect that Matthew could sign with Tampa Bay if they could clear some room. Could. could. But you expect them to re-sign with the Texans. But you also have him hitting the market. If Tampa Bay is going to be any kind of player at all, that means he hits the market. Uh, I, I don't know whether they'll re-sign him by the deadline of March the 13th. But, uh, and I think he'll re-sign here. I don't know if he'll test the market, though. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm a free agent, unless you knock me over with an offer and I got a lot of money, I want to check the market and see what goes on. And right now, if they were to re-sign Matthew and Jackson, they got Justin Reed, and he's going to start. Right. And then Andre Al, you know, what he did was miraculous last season, not just to come back but to make some big plays. Mm-hmm. So this time last year, we were talking about, man, they need help in safety. They got Andre Al and Corey Moore and uh, Curtis Drummond. And then I believe they Brian Gain and Bill Bill O'Brien will do at corner what they did this time last year with safety. John, do you think with oh I don't know anywhere between seventy five to eighty million dollars in cap room, how many outside the building free agents come in? I'm not talking like mid level or low. I'm talking how many. Mm, I'll say high-priced free agents do you think they'll bring in? Well, John, that depends on what you call high-priced. They're not going to pay Le'Veon Bell. Right. The, make him the highest-paid running back in history. He wants to make more than Todd Gurley. who got $45 million guaranteed. They're just not going to do it. You got problems in a, cor- a corner. You got problems with the offensive line. They need an inside pass rusher and a third running back, a fourth receiver, whether it's in free agency or the draft. So, the, 
they offered Nate Solder $16.5 million, and he wanted to go to the Giants. But he was a proven guy, even though he turned 30. A lot of people say, man, they got to back up the Brinks truck to Trent Brown. That's not going to happen. They're not gonna, he wants to be the highest paid tackle. It's just not going to happen after one year of success playing with a quarterback who got rid of the ball faster than he ever has in his career. And so uh, Brian mentioned they want Chantrell Henderson to be the starter right tackle. Okay, and uh, but they need a new left tackle. I'm guessing it's going to be a first-round pick, and I still think they'll sign a veteran. I've been talking to people that have offensive linemen, Donovan Smith. He's not going anywhere. They're trying to re-sign him or they'll franchise him. I think they'll sign somebody. I think if they were going to spend a whole lot of money, who would it be on? I think it might be at another position. Like, say if there's an inside rusher, they need to do, like, get lucky like Indy did with Autry last year Mm -hmm. and find a guy who, who was just on the precipice and needed a new... A new zip code and different system, and find a guy who can give them something inside. What I'm curious about, if the first two picks are a tackle in the corner, could the third one in the second round be a, deep, a pass rusher from inside? Could it be a running back? Uh, as a receiver, I don't think so because if they're healthy, and I know it's a big if, you're still the fourth receiver if Fuller and QT stay healthy. Well, that was going to be my question to you is that if – you do handle those two needs. If you do find an outside the building free agent, whether it's a, I mean, I would imagine it's Trent Brown. I know that's really you know, the, the law of supply and demand. There's a lot of demand and there's not as much supply, especially as it pertains to free agents. Oh, but yeah. in the draft, it's a little different. But if they're able to do that, if they're able to satisfy some of that, do they look at an interior pass rusher? Because if, if it is, this is the year to do it. I will say this. I think a guy that we forget about in all of this and I watched him the other day against Philadelphia, is Carlos Watkins. Now, Carlos was not active for a lot of the year, but he's going into his third year, and I think he's on a situation where, and I want to make sure I say this right, it's, it's time to poop or get off make the pot, Make or basically. break. Yes, yeah. there you go. That's better than the way I said he's it. He's got to be, because there's yes. a chance Covington and Blackson are going to sign somewhere else. Right. And even though those guys play an instrumental role in a great run defense, uh, if they believe Watkins is ready to step up and be that defensive end where, uh, well, Reader's a defensive end and Dunn started on the nose. People call Reader a nose, but most of the season he started outside. But when you go to the passing situation, you need an inside rusher. So it could be he's a second-round pick. It could be a third-round pick because this is such a deep draft. Yep. But the one thing they don't need is another outside rusher right now. John, what's the vibe you get from others in the industry, whether it be football operations or even national media, about the Houston Texans, the way it went down and what the future might be in this division? Everybody loves Watson. Everybody is skeptical because of the schedule. People who were starting to believe in the Texans after the way they came out and played against the Colts, people are like, eh, we'll see next year. And I think that's good. I, like I was talking to a member of the Colts yesterday, said so you guys are going to be favored to win the division. There's a lot of people probably pick you to go to the Super Bowl, like they did two years ago. Mm-hmm. He said, "Well, we don't want that role. You know, we'd rather <laughs> we'd rather have the role where you're we're nipping at somebody's heels." Yep. And I said, "Well, you you shouldn't have looked so good." So I think that uh, the Texans, most people probably pick them to win a wild card, and Indianapolis to win the division, depending on what they do in the offensive line. It's such a good draft 
for left tackles at the area where the Texans are drafting. Now, I have six going in the first round because we talk about all these pass rushers, what a great year it is. Well, who's going to stop them? It's the offensive tackles. And there's some good inside rushers as well, but I can't imagine the Texans would use the first-round pick on a defensive lineman when they have Watt and Watt. They have Watt, Clowney, Reeder. It's not as big a need as it is an offensive tackle. The guy I'd love to see him get is Andre Dillard from Washington State. Aaron Wilson wants Greg Little from Ole Miss. They're the two best pure left tackles. They don't need a guy who can move inside. Martinez Rankin's moving inside. I think mm-hmm. he'll play left guard. They need pure tackles. They basically need football line body. It doesn't matter. I mean, I don't care. Draft the best offensive lineman you got, whichever one you, you can to help that offensive line, and then you can figure it out uh, at that point. But I, I'm with you, John. I mean, I'm a huge Andre Dillard fan. I mean, he's the, I'm, I'm on top, I've been on top of him for a few years, so I love, love and would love. I told him at the Senior Bowl that we gave up 62 sacks, and he looked at me like I had three heads. I mean, he just couldn't, <laughs> believe, he couldn't believe it. He's like, really? And I was like, yeah. Um, we've We've kind of gone this long without talking about Jadeveon Clowney, John. What is your what is your sense on, A, the franchise tag, B, long-term deal? Uh, I have not changed my opinion since August when I said that he will not reach an agreement on a long-term deal. Or whenever Mac and Donald signed. Was that August or September? Uh, whenever they signed those September, monster deals. Early September. Agents say, okay, that's the barometer. But, I, but because Jadavion is not a premier pass rusher like Donald and Mack are, but he's great against the run and he's good against the pass, mm-hmm. he's not going to get that much money. And so he'll get it. He'll have to turn down $100 million. So I think he'll be franchised on Tuesday and they will continue to negotiate with Buzz Cook. Most of the time, they don't even get serious in contract negotiations, teams and agents, till they get here. And that's kind of thing parameters late at night. Yeah. in the bars and stuff, and then they go home and talk about it some more, and then it really heats up the closer we get to free agency. But I've seen some national media people go, I'm not going to say who this guy was because I, I like him. He said, you know, I I, I don't think Clowney be back. I think they're going to let him walk. And I'm like, why would you think that? What have you ever possibly seen that would make you think all of a sudden they became morons and are going to let one of the best – defensive players, their second-best defensive player, their second-most disruptive defensive player, just walk away. There's no way. He will be back. When he comes back and we see him, now that's different. Well, I think the other question is, would a team, not that you would do the deal, but if you franchise him, would a team give up a first-round draft choice for You mean two number ones? Well, you don't have to, though. You could make an agreement. You can do whatever you want. Well, I'm sure a team would give up a one for Clowney, but the Texans wouldn't take a one for him. You know, who out there that you know is going to step in and be as disruptive as Clowney. Yeah, nobody. As good as those guys are. Nick Bosa was hurt last year. His brother's been hurt. He's going to be the first overall pick unless they go with mm-hmm. Kyler Murray. And and after the way he weighed and measured his hand size and everything today, everybody's like, wow, they were expecting so much less. And I think that Kyler Murray now is going to be in the running for that top pick. And uh, – but – you know, Quentin Williams, one-year starter. Would you take him over Clowney? Would you take Bosa, a great talent? But, you know, I just – Clowney's a proven product. And coming back, that thing about him, like he doesn't work hard, you know, that thing goes back to me, and it just blows me away that uh, 
How can you not be a hard worker if you come back from microfracture surgery and you come back from two other knee surgeries? Well, that proved that he could do it. Are you com- are you comparing him to Watt? How many guys? Com- how many guys work? Yeah, like you, Watt? you can't compare people to Watt. It's like comparing teams to the Patriots. You you just can't compare individuals to Watt. I mean, yeah, he's the gold, gold, platinum standard, if you will. If John, they didn't think he worked hard enough, they wouldn't be trying to sign him to a long term deal. That's a good point, John. What about Jason Witten? I, I'm guessing ESPN's paying his contract, right? Well, you know, it's go back as the veteran minimum. That that was the first reaction I had. Johnny and I were having lunch. We saw it on the monitor, and I said, "Boy, how happy is ESPN right now that they don't have to deal with Witten and the growing pains the any longer?" Criticism, and yeah, he's 35. Year, 30, he's going to be 36, or he is 36, which puts him two years behind Antonio Gates. Isn't it amazing? how guys are in such good shape and take such great care of themselves and the medical knowledge that they can play at an age where 10 years ago we were the what? Yeah. The tight ends are going to play in the late 30s and the quarterback's going to play in the 40s. There's no way. Great for winning. The media loves it in Dallas because he's a great quote. But I just, you know, what if they have to cut him? Oh, I, oh my God! It'll be too late to go back to ESPN. Yeah, I mean, it'll be too it late will, to go back to ESPN. It'll certainly be too late by then. I mean, when, okay, when you're John, talking so about Witten, you're talking about a guy who, let's see, he's fourth on the all-time receptions list. He's behind Larry Fitzgerald, who's still playing. Look, he's not going to catch Larry. He's not going to. He's 150 behind Larry, and it's just not going to happen. This delays his Hall of Fame uh, eligibility now. That's well, that's true. what I was going to say. What if? But what if he doesn't? What if he gets cut? Well, then. Uh, that's a great question. I, I, we've never been in a situation. He still, it, if he gets cut, he was not on the roster, so it'll be five years. He can, oh, is that it? Yeah, that's I mean, the I've never seen that, but it's five years after you're, you retire or you're cut or you leave the league, and he would be leaving the league. I thought he was asking about his career chances. He could be the sideline reporter for Andrea Kramer and Hannah Storm on Amazon on the Thursday <laughs> night package or something. I'm so, not sure. I don't know, but I, honestly, that was one of the first things I thought about was Hall of Fame, and I th- thought about John. Like, when does he now become eligible for the Hall of Fame? Man, that pushes him now back. F- but that actually could help you guys because you got you're starting to get backlogs at certain positions. I can't positions. imagine that they would sign him if they thought there was even a chance he'd be cut because that yeah. would make him look terrible. Yeah, but and it make them look terrible too. I just can't imagine that they're 100% sure he's going to be who he was or enough of who well, he was he to justify a spot. Well, he wasn't last year. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy They stuff. drafted Escobar in the second round hoping to replace him, and that guy bombed out. So I hope they don't go into the offseason thinking we don't need a tight end. What do you have? <laughs> I kind of <laughs> hope they do, John. Yeah, me too. Well, they might. They're the Cowboys. Exactly. Uh, it's just too much fun. John, what do you have going on in the Houston Chronicle? Well, we have our, our fourth mock draft up, and I think I have the Texans taking a Georgia cornerback DeAndre Baker in the first round and two tackles in the second round. And uh, I'm trying to do guys different every week based on systems, and I can't remember the two that I put down. <laughs> but it wouldn't surprise me because tackles so deep. If they took, if there's a corner there they had rated way ahead of a tackle, I think they'd take him and then say we can get better value in the second. Brian Gaines not going to trade up. He's not going to sacrifice something to trade up. But I could see him possibly trading down if there were three or four tackle selections he liked. And that would be smart. You know, he'd like to get another two. He'd, he'd obviously get more than the four back. 
And I've been doing five takeaways. I did five with Gain today, and now I'm going to do five in the NFL led by Kyler Murray, and I'm doing Trevion Williams from A&M for Sunday. Uh, Ed Oliver is going to be done by Aaron. I'm doing Kyler Murray. So we got all kinds of stuff in the Chronicle, Texas Sports Nation, HoustonChronicle.com. John, thanks a lot for joining us. Hey, Mark. John, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your stay. Always a pleasure, John. Thank you very much for being on the show tomorrow. We will broadcast from here again. Greg Cosell from NFL Films will be on the program. I'll be on for a segment with the guys in the morning on Mad Radio. Don't forget about Texans 360 Saturday nights at 11 on ABC 13. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great night, and go Texans.